This morning, we are going to begin a, a four-part series uh, today and then two weeks from today for three more, looking at our purpose as a church. We haven't done this now for about three and a half, four years, and it's vital that we as a local church refocus on uh, what God's purpose is for us as he delineates in his word. Theologians throughout church history have had uh, a back and forth discussion whether our ultimate purpose is either doxological or soteriological, meaning is our purpose to glorify God and uh, through through worship, or is our uh, purpose uh, toward helping men and women, boys and girls, come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? And the answer is both. But it's possible for a church to say, we're just going to focus on worship and miss the call of God onto us to be a disciple-making church. And here at Faith Bible Church, we are hoping to accomplish both, to be a disciple-making church that brings glory to God. And so our purpose statement, every Sunday on the front of your bulletin, says Faith Bible Church, making disciples and equipping them to become fully devoted followers of Christ. And so... Today and the next three weeks, we want to unwrap that and talk about our focus as a church, as disciple makers. Remember that a disciple is simply a follower, a learner. To be a true disciple, one not only follows, but one emulates Meaning, the one that we follow, we begin to take on their character. We had a pastor on staff many years ago, Darren Stelsing, who was an understudy of a pastor uh, at Denton Bible Church in, in Denton, Texas, Tommy Nelson. And I sometimes when Darren would talk or some of the phrases he used, you could tell that Darren was one of Tommy's guys because he had spent so much time following him that he started to resemble him and what he thought and some of his words. And so uh, he was a disciple of him. Now, as a church, we're not to be disciples of a person. We're our disciples of Jesus Christ, the God-man. And so we want, it's important for us to be empowered, have a clarified focus in being reminded of our purpose as a church. Remember that a disciple is one who has actually taken two major steps in life. In order to be a true disciple, a person has to come to a point where they choose to put their faith in the person of Jesus Christ. 
to believe that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross as payment for sin, and rose again from the dead, proving that he is God. Some of Jesus' early disciples never took that important step. They, they, they were just curious, but they were never convinced of who he was. And we read about them in John chapter 6, starting to read in verse 63, it says, It's the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I have said to you that you can, that no one, that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. And so these ones that were following Jesus stopped. They never became true disciples. To be a true disciple, that follower needs to take the step that's described in John chapter 2, verse 11, when it says, and his disciples believed in him. To be a true follower of Jesus Christ, a person has to stop thinking that they can be a good enough person to earn merit with God and must place their faith and must believe in the person of Jesus Christ. They must put their dependence on the fact that Jesus is God, that he died as a payment for sin and rose again from the dead, proving that he is God. And when a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ, they become his true disciple. The Bible calls that a Christian. Now, discipleship, being a follower of Jesus, doesn't stop there. Because once we put our faith in Jesus, we are to still follow after him. So that this book, the Word of God is able to transform us into the into the likeness of Christ as he is the right standard righteous we through the power of the spirit of god working through the scripture as we integrate scripture into our lives become like him and so that's the second half of discipleship discipleship begins when a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ, but it doesn't stop there. At that point, a person's a Christian, but he doesn't stop being a disciple of Jesus just when I become a Christian. No, we continue to follow after him and allow his word to transform us so that he makes us into the likeness of Christ so that when people see you, they see Christ in you. So that's what we are talking about today and the next three weeks. What it means to be a disciple-making church and how each of us have a calling to take part in that purpose. When I was a kid, uh, our home was a home of of habits. We we had patterns that we followed. For example, Saturday mornings were always syrup days. 
We either had waffles, pancakes, or French toast every Saturday morning. That's just how we did it. Saturday morning's a syrup day. Well, one of our evening meals was always spaghetti. Always. Once a week, we had spaghetti. My mom would buy these little packets of Lowry's seasoning mix, and we were kind of quirky. My Every person in our family would be given a huge platter of spaghetti. We'd bring it to the table, and then we would take a knife, and each of us would cut it in half, eat half of it, and put the rest in the leftover bin. That's what we did. The first time my my beloved Barbara came home to my house before we were married and enjoyed spaghetti night, uh, she looked at us and looked at this mammoth piled high platter of spaghetti in front of everybody's place. And I mean, I don't think she would eat 20% of what was on her plate. And then she watched each of us take a knife and cut it in half. And then we just ate half, and then we all systematically put it in the leftover container. And after the meal, when it was private, she said, Why do you do that? And I told her, I don't know. We've just always done it that way. You know, it's very important for us to periodically ask ourselves the question, Why do we do that? What's the purpose? And when we have a clarified purpose, it it brings a renewed passion. It helps us look and 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 in our lives and say this needs to change. It helps us clarify our directions in life. And when we finish this little four-part series, we're moving into another one talking about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at various areas in our lives that need to be yielded underneath the Lordship of Jesus. So we're laying some groundwork here, thinking about our purpose. It's good to ask the question, why? Now, this morning, we're going to go to the main passage of scripture that talks about our purpose as a church, and we've turned there many times before, you've probably turned there more than many other passages in the scripture, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. And while it's very familiar, it should never become trite. What we're doing is like being in a university class and taking out your syllabus halfway through the semester and say, oh yeah, that's the direction of this class. This is like being at work and taking out your job description and having a renewed focus of this is where I'm going. And that's what Matthew 28 does for us. I'm going to start reading in verse 16. It says, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Faith Bible church's purpose is to make disciples. Simply put, 
Faith Bible Church's purpose is to make disciples. Here in these verses, we come to this section after Jesus has gone to the cross and risen from the dead, and he appears to now what used to be 12, but now is 11, because Judas took his own life. It tells us that some of the 11 were doubtful. They they could not get their arms around the fact that this could actually be Jesus Christ, uh, the risen Lord. And so Jesus, knowing their hearts, tells them that all authority in heaven and on earth has been granted to him. That's more than power. That is saying that the Father has granted the Son the right to rule. And Jesus Christ says, in light of that, here is my charge for you. Here is my purpose for you. Go and make disciples. Now, I'm sure you've heard uh, Bible teachers talk about this. The, um, the command there, the imperative, is the word make disciples. The word go is a part of speech called a participle that can be interpreted in various ways, but I think the best way to interpret that is the way most of our English translations interpret it. They view it as on equal uh, standing with the command, make disciples. And so, in a sense, Jesus here is using two imperatives. He's saying, be purposeful in disciple-making. Go, be purposeful, have a plan for what, for how you are going to serve me in making disciples. Do it. Go and make disciples of all the nations. And then clear at the bottom of the passage, we see a little bit of a phrase that reminds us that this was a charge that wasn't just for the 11. Some would look at this and say, yeah, well, he told the 11 apostles to do that, but how do we think he told me? Look at the very last phrase of verse 20. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That says that Jesus, when he said, go and make disciples, is thinking about a broader audience than just the 11. It's saying that this is a charge to his church. The little phrase, the end of the age, is particular to Matthew. We see that phrase in Matthew's gospel, but not Mark, Luke, and John. And we can see an example of it in the book of Matthew. I'm not going to turn there this morning, but chapter 13, verses 39, 40, and 49. In those verses, we can see that this end of the age, this age that Jesus talks about here, is from the beginning of the church to the end of the tribulation period. Thus, Jesus is saying, I'm with you, For this whole span of time, that means that this charge is a lot bigger than just for the 11. It's for you and for me. It's for Faith Bible Church. We are charged here by the one who has been given authority by the Heavenly Father to be a disciple-making church. This week... I noticed in my left eye that my vision was just a little bit cloudy. 
And I took off my glasses and, oh, well, my, my glasses have a big smudge right there. So I took out a little lens cloth that I have and I, I tried to clean it off and it didn't come off. And so I, I got some lens cleaner and put on there and, and tried to clean it off. It didn't come off. So what do I do when everything else fails? I ask my wife for help. Cause she can accomplish anything. I'm always getting ink on my stuff or whatever. She can, she can do it all. So I said, Barbara, can you get this spot off my glasses? I've tried. I can't do it. And lo and behold, she couldn't get it off. So then I took it to where I purchased the glasses. And the lady looked at that and she said, well, you've got a whole series of tiny scratches in there. It's like a whole area of scratches. And then she said, do you wear a clip, a sunglass clip on these? I said, I do. And she said, well, that sunglass clip is wearing against your lens. Now, that's been going on for a long time. And I just noticed it this week. How could, how could that be that, that, that had, I've been putting those little scratches in there for week after week after week after week after year. And now all of a sudden I can't see clearly. How is it possible for a church to stop being a disciple making church? One answer would be for a church to just disobey Jesus and say, I'm not going to do what Jesus says. Just willful disobedience. But what happens to a lot of churches is that it's very easy to start losing focus on our purpose by doing a lot of good things but not necessarily the critical things. And one of the things that that we try to do as elders and staff of Faith Bible Church is to continue to evaluate, are the things that we're doing, do they, do they fit through the lens of disciple-making? Will this activity... Help a person come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's why we do the Wild Game Feast, an opportunity for us all to say to somebody in our web of relationship, hey, come and see, come and see with me and hear about Jesus and then have a platform to personally talk to our friend and say, hey, what did you think about that? What did you think about the message of the speaker? Maybe share our testimony with them just in a simple way. Share the good news with them again and and invite them to put their faith in Jesus. We had a college student in first hour this week led one of his fellow uh, college students to faith in Jesus Christ. So exciting. And we all have that opportunity. That's why we do the Wild Game Feast, because it fits into our purpose as a church to make disciples. And here we are charged to be purposeful. In fact, it tells us to make disciples of all the nations. That's why we are committed to uh, foreign missions at Faith Bible Church, but also as you look, for example, at Luke chapter 24, verse 47, Luke's restatement of this purpose statement, it talks about making disciples first in Jerusalem and then going out. And our Jerusalem is here at home. We need to be committed to making disciples here in our own community. 
cross-culturally through our programs like our ESL program, but also within our own culture. That's why our Awana ministry is so critical in helping children come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's why we offer a seeds class where people can learn how to, in a very uh, non-threatening way, share the hope they have in Jesus Christ with someone else. So here we find our charge. Make disciples. And it's important for us to be reminded of that charge. To be reminded of our purpose. In a sense, asking the question, why? Because it invigorates. It gives us a clear focus for the year. It helps us prioritize what's important in our lives. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us here what to do without telling us how to do it. And so in verses 19 and 20, we see how we are supposed to make disciples. There are two parallel words. The part of the speech is called a participle. And those two participles tell us how we are to accomplish this. If you look back at verse 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. How do I do that? By baptizing and teaching. Verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Those two words telling us how to make disciples actually are describing the two-phase method of discipleship that we talk about here at Faith Bible Church. Phase one is encapsulized in the word baptizing. What Jesus is saying here is, this is your charge. Go out and preach the gospel to people, and as they come to faith in the person of Jesus Christ, they have this beautiful public testimony that now I'm a Jesus follower, now I am a Christian, I want to be identified with him. This is talking about water baptism here. And if you think about the book of Acts, remember in the book of Acts, as you go through the book and see the flow of the book of Acts, they believed and then they were baptized. They believed and then they were baptized. At the moment of faith, that new Christian in the, in the, in the early church was encouraged. Now, be public about it. Tell others about it. Let's make sure that your your family knows that you are now a follower of Jesus Christ. You are a disciple of Jesus. Let's make sure that the community, your neighbors around you know that you are a follower of Jesus. So here when Jesus says, make disciples, how do I do that? By baptizing them. He's talking about helping people move from curious to convinced and then giving them, once they have put their faith in Jesus, giving them the opportunity to make a public testimony of their new faith in Christ. Discipling does not stop there, though. That's why Jesus goes on to say, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. You see, once a disciple becomes a true disciple and places their faith in Jesus Christ, then we are to walk with each other. 
encouraging each other to take the truth of this book and allow it to transform us so that we are changed from the inside out to spur each other, one another on with this book to help us become more like Jesus Christ. Notice when Jesus says here, he says, teaching them all that I commanded you? No, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. That's talking about integrated truth. That's not just saying, I want you to know a bunch of stuff. It's saying, I want the truth of this book to be transforming you into the image of Jesus Christ. That's the second half of discipleship. One of the heartbeats of our elders here at Faith Bible Church is to not be a church that loses focus of our purpose. And we right now, in fact, in about two weeks, we have started working with uh, a man from an organization called TNET, which is totally committed to discipling. Biblically based, taking, helping churches be more purposeful in taking the words of this book and help integrate it into people's lives. And we want to be more purposeful about that. We see that this is an area where we need to grow. And so while we are still have efforts to help people move so that they can put their faith in Jesus Christ, we want to be also more purposeful in helping people grow based on the Word of God. And so we'll be working with this man who's totally committed to discipleship and helping us see how we can do a better job of this here at Faith Bible Church. About a week ago, Barbara and I had supper with the parents of one of my daughter-in-laws. And as as we sat around the dinner table at a restaurant, my oldest son's mother-in-law looked at me and said, how is it that you trained up both of these older boys that are married to be such good cooks? I mean, they are just in the kitchen a lot. Both of my older boys do a lot of the cooking in their homes. And my son's mother-in-law said, how did you do that? And my wife started to laugh because I don't do any cooking at all. I just know all the language about it. I love to watch the Food Network, and I know what it is to put food into an immersion bath and or how to use an immersion blender or when to use a heavy bottom saucepan or what a roux is. I can talk about it. I can even give people advice on what cookware to buy, but I've never used it. I've never really touched it. I don't really know how. I mean, I've never practically done I love to eat the byproduct of it, but I don't do it. They got that from mom. You see, I'm not a very good disciple of the Food Network because I know all the words, but I don't, I don't do any of it. None of it's integrated into my life. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying as a church... 
we need to be committed to walking with people in such a way that we help them find Jesus Christ. That we are with our coworkers, with our family, with um, our, our, our neighbors, people within our web of relationship, people that we don't even know cross-culturally, that we are to have a commitment to sharing the hope that we have in Jesus Christ with them so that they have an opportunity to put their faith in Jesus Christ. And then once a person's a Christian, to walk with each other in such a way that we're spurring each other on to take the words of this book and integrate it into our lives by studying the Word of God, not just to add more knowledge, but study to change lives, letting this book transform us. That's what discipling is. We see an example of this in the book of Acts. And in closing here, I want us to turn over to Acts chapter 14, because we see the Apostle Paul doing both stages of discipleship here. And in Acts chapter 14, we see what we've already seen in Acts 28, verses 19 and 20, that that disciple-making involves a two-phase method, baptizing those who place their faith in Jesus and teaching them God's word. And remember, baptizing those is encompassing, helping people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus and then baptizing them. Teaching them God's word is for the purpose of changed lives. We see both of those aspects in Acts chapter 14, where we see the Apostle Paul and his co-worker Barnabas on their first missionary journey, And Paul and Barnabas are sharing the gospel message. And then we're going to see them go back and strengthen and encourage those who come to faith in Jesus. So Acts 14, starting to read in verse 21. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So here we have an example of the Apostle Paul and Barnabas leading people to faith in Jesus. But they just don't leave them there. They go back and they take the word of God and encourage and strengthen and teach these brand new believers that, hey, just once you become a Christian doesn't mean that life's going to be easy. In fact, you're going to go through hard times, but now we have the indwelling Spirit of God, and we have the Word of God that can help us and encourage us and help us know how to live through the times in which we find ourselves. And so we find the Apostle Paul living out doing what he's charged with in Matthew 28. He's helping people by giving them an opportunity to place their faith in Jesus. And then when they do and become a Christian, he's walking alongside of them, encouraging them on in their faith. The home in which I grew up was rather formal. Uh, oftentimes my father, if he would come to my basketball game, would have on a suit. And maybe that was just because he came from the office and was going back to the office, I don't know. But most of my games, my father would have on a coat and tie. 
My mother would never think about going to a grocery store in jeans. She always dressed up. Uh, unlike the normal kids that got to go to church on Sunday morning with a pair of Nikes and a pair of jeans, I always had to have a leather pair of shoes on and dress pants. That's just the family I grew up in. And my father bought all of his clothes, uh, his dress clothes at one store in Omaha, Nebraska called Landon's. Now, the Landon's experience, while I hated it as a kid, now, I would really appreciate it, and if they're not in business anymore. But when you went to Landon's, you started out in the suit department. It's just a whole store for men. You know how you go into a department store now, and you have to kind of find the corner where the men's clothes are, and it's usually up on the third floor in the corner. Um, this store, it's just for men. And you start out in the suit department, and there is a suit specialist that connects you with a suit. Once you pick out the suit and get all the measurements and everything, he takes the suit and you to the shirt guy. And then he introduces you to the shirt guy. And the shirt guy maybe gives you like three nice dress shirts to go with the suit. And then the shirt guy takes the suit and the shirt and he takes you to the tie guy. And then the tie guy, not tie-dye, tie guy, the tie guy matches you up with ties that draw it all together. It was just something to behold. It was fantastic. Now, I know, because I went there enough, that even though there was a guy who specialized in suits and a guy who specialized in dress shirts and a guy who specialized in ties, it wasn't like they couldn't do each other's department. For example, if the shirt guy was happened, if the two shirt guys were really busy, the suit guy could come over and say, hey, let's pick out a couple nice shirts. Or maybe... The tie guys were kind of busy. The shirt guy would say, ah, come on, let's let's pick out a couple of nice ties. You see, each one of those guys had something that they were specially gifted in, but they were committed to the whole process. And what we're going to do in the next three weeks is talk just about that concept, that each and every one of us, at the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ, are gifted by the Spirit of God. We have a special ability in some way to be involved in the disciple-making process. But that doesn't mean that, say, for example, I'm not specially gifted in evangelism, does not mean that I am not called to have a passion to share my faith with my coworker or my family member or um, my neighbor. Or like this past Monday... I was on the basketball court at the Y. And this guy, right before the game starts to start, starts asking me theological questions. So we were right in the middle of the basketball floor, all the guys around us, and we're talking about communion and what, why the, what the Roman Catholic position is versus Faith Bible Church and talking about, uh, the representation of communion. We never know when we're going to get into a theological conversation. Evangelism is not probably my my gift, but it doesn't mean that I shouldn't be involved there. And what we're going to talk about in the next three weeks is this purpose of being a disciple-making church, but how each and every one of us are called to be part of the process, utilizing our giftedness, but also, in a sense, cross-training, meaning involved in all of the areas of call that makes us a disciple-making church. 
We are here to make disciples. Father, I thank you for this passage of Matthew 28 and Acts 14. And for the reminder that you have a call on us. We don't want to lose focus on that. We pray that 2016 will be a year when we see boys and girls and men and women come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would help us as elders and pastors of Faith Bible Church to grow in being more purposeful in our stage two discipleship. Give us insight. Give us, help us grow in doing a better job of coming alongside of individual disciples, helping them integrate biblical truth into their lives. We want to be the disciple-making church that you have called us to be, Father. And we ask for your grace and your enablement. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.